BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode five of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi. My name is Tyler Fornis, and with me today is Fred Moreland, my co-host. How are the home renovations coming? They are nearly done, and thank God for that. I am so tired of this nonsense, but uh, everything's going well uh, on that front. Uh, how about these Vikings? Oh my gosh, they are they are trying to kill me, Fred. They are literally trying to kill me with how they're playing the game of football, but somehow they're four and one, so it's hard to truly complain uh don't don't count yourself out like that there's plenty of ways to complain even when your team's good um take for example my cleveland guardians baseball fandom and the fact that i had to sit to the uh oh god was it the sixth, 15th inning the other day for that uh, never-ending playoff series so uh that was rough man oh yeah that's that is a really good game into almost a second game of baseball just yeah 15 innings Hey, you know what? At least they did not have the ghost runner, and that walk-off was a true walk-off. I, you know, we'll take that as a win. But let's let's jump into the AEW because, Fred, we have a lot to talk about, and it's all wrestling war-related, which is awesome stuff. John Moxley officially signed a five-year extension that was announced over the weekend, and what was really funny about it is everybody who announced it with the press release had the exact same tweet, which I found incredible um that he had signed an extension with AEW and that include mentorship and coaching responsibilities just not even trying to make it your own you just it's the company line stuff and i found it really funny well you know you got to appreciate you know the value of time and why why reword something when you can just not right so they're just a bunch of adam shefters all of them sources are reporting exactly this thing that this press release says (laughs) Um, yeah, man, John Moxley has been, I would argue, and granted there's some injury here. You could probably be like Hangman Page or Kenny Omega. Uh, but Moxley has been the heart and soul of this company since basically day one. Uh, he is so talented and just has been able to really spread his wings in AEW and just be exactly what he is, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it's great. I mean, he, 
he has just represented what this company is, the, the goods of it. Uh, it's just constantly uh, having great matches, great promos, just perfect character. So, you know, if I was like, this is a situation where you could have just done a lifetime contract and everyone would have been happy. He's just perfect in the spot. He really is. And he, you can just tell uh, compared to his time in WWE that he's he is happy because the body language is just significantly different. And then this came from Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer. Um, and I quote, I think the key to all of this is, you know, he signed a five-year deal. So as far as why so long, I think the answer was that he just felt he's not going to WWE. He doesn't want to go to WWE. Doesn't want to put on of wanting to go to WWE and play both sides to get more money. He doesn't want people speculating that he's going to WWE. He wants all speculation over and he's with AEW for five more years. I know at some point he discussed, I don't know how seriously, but just being a free agent and doing that as opposed to signing a new deal. Now, I think what's really interesting about all this is one, Dave's writing. If you don't understand it, this is the amount of times that he basically says the same thing. That That's just Davisms. Like, yeah, that's how it works, baby. It really does. Um, but the biggest thing to me as it was came at the end is that he thought about doing a free agent deal, which means he could do GCW. He could do new Japan and he could do all those things whenever he wanted. So my guess is that he was able to get something in his contract where he was able to still do all that freelancing stuff and some mutual agreement with Tony Khan that, Hey, I'm still going to be AEW core, but I can still get my wrestling bug elsewhere, which honestly, I don't care if he ever does GCW again, but New Japan, you know, maybe going and doing a shot in like a AAA or CMLL or doing a Northeast Indie, you know, some of like the really cool stuff, like what he had, uh, didn't he have a match against Speedball and like Warrior Wrestling? I think he did. And I think that was excellent. So. Stuff like that absolutely rocks. And I hope he gets a chance to do more of it because it's not always something you can do within the context of AEW canon, considering you have to advance storylines. I mean, you can do one-offs. He did one with Mance Warner, which was awesome, but you can't always do that considering he's the champion and you have to keep progressing storylines. And because of those aspects, I love that he can, he's still going to be able to go out in theory and be able to have these one-off matches that are just really cool. And who cares if he wins them? He's going to win all of them, except he had to drop the GCW title to Nick Gage, which I thought we'll talk about that later. I thought they did a really nice job of making that happen. But seeing these cool kind of quote unquote dream matches, I think is, was a really nice touch to, for him to be able to continue to do that. Yeah. And uh, I think it really fits into not just what he wants to do, but also helps. I think AEW's uh, role in the world of wrestling, where they are kind of the cool promotion in the sense that they will work with other companies in a very public way. And uh, I think that is beneficial to the company itself. Now, I know that Meltzer said uh, rather offhandedly, so it was really hard to tell if it was a report or speculation on his part. So, giant asterisk here. But he made it sound like he thinks that uh, Moxley will not be working with GCW again, at least in the short term. Uh, I think AEW is... uh, If you go back to uh, the career of Marco Stunt, who uh, was doing okay in AEW as the mascot, essentially, of uh, Jungle Express, and then he did a dildo death match with Effie or whatever the exact gimmick was. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he may have also got concussed in that match. And that was basically, he was, that was essentially it for him in AEW, um, even beyond recovering from the concussion. So I think that, um, I think Tony Khan may not be too fond of 
is people going to GCW. Uh, but that'll be something to watch to see exactly how it plays out moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, we know that uh, John Moxley is completely different from Marco Stump, but the, the core concept of GCW and an AEW talent continue to go over there does have some credence. Um, speaking of AEW talent, Andrade decided that he wanted to try and get fired. So he started a fight with Sammy Guevara. Um, he was sure told, did. He was told on Tuesday that he would not get fired if he if he threw punches. Um, they had security prep to keep them apart. It didn't work. Multiple sources talked to Dave Meltzer. Three of them said the same thing, and one was almost identical in saying that Andrade started the fight and was the one that threw punches, and Sammy did not. Um, apparently, according to one of those Meltzer sources, Andrade hid in the hallway and ambushed Sammy. Um, he did it anyway to try and get fired. And what really is intriguing about this whole thing is that this is a wrestling war. And we saw stuff similar but not too similar with this with uh, guys like Jeff Jarrett in the 90s and jumping back and forth and trying to just get as much money as I can, which is awesome. More of this should happen in pro wrestling. These guys should try and make as much money, and it makes things more interesting. But doing it in this way, tr- knowing that that you want out of the company and intentionally trying to start a fight with a guy who has had his own issues with in and w- and outside of the company as far as public perception and just uh, general immaturity, this was stupid. Like there's there's no redeeming quality to this except it makes Andrade look like the biggest asshole. And somehow throughout all this, Roosh's hands are clean. And he's a squeaky clean baby face in the locker room. Like, you, you can't make this up. I, I love this ridiculous industry. Uh, my Two of my favorite things uh, that I just did little side notes on this on Twitter was one, Andrade bouncing around last week, even before all the Sammy stuff broke out. Um, and uh, just tweeting, you know, his little hints about how he wants out. And then just halfway through, just going, hey, Roosh, I'm retweeting you getting a job. Congratulations. In the place that I want to leave. Um, and then uh, secondly, uh, after all this happened, uh, Ricky Starks and MJF were talking a little trash to each other on Twitter. It seemed like probably in good fun, but who knows these days. And Eddie Kingston just uh, replied to them and said, guys, base- playoff baseball and college football is on chill. So I don't know. It's just a very ridiculous kind of situation all around. Um, Meltzer has hinted, uh, actually, after this happened, he hinted that people that were under contract with WWE but wanted out, um, you know, back before AEW was around uh, in, the, in the early days of it, of trying to come up with ridiculous ways of getting fired. I know one he's mentioned is them failing drug tests on purpose. Uh, I don't know that anyone actually actually did that. But, of course, he always told them that this isn't going to work. You're not going to actually get fired for this. And, uh, you know, it's a shame that Andrade didn't reach out to his uh, father-in-law, sometimes buddy, and have that talk. Uh, There's no way that uh, Tony Khan's going to release Andrade anytime soon if he can help it. Yeah. And the line that he said, I cannot remember what podcast it was on. Uh, It it was a, he was doing an interview and he, you can kind of tell where the, the gears in his head are turning because he's like, I have only had a problem with a wrestler that I'm not going to. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say his name, Sammy Guevara. It, he knew what he was doing, and it was very calculated, and um, just 
just awful stuff. Um, obviously, Guevara countered on social media, so he was still somewhat complicit in this. And there were some people in the back that were upset that he ended up getting the win in the main event. But I'll tell you, when you watch that match on Dynamite and you felt the heat in the building, that was heat. That wasn't, I hate you, go away heat. It was, I hate your guts and want to see you get your ass absolutely brutalized heat. And that is something that Guevara is leaning into really well and can definitely keep this promotion hot as we continue to move forward. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sammy is just a real, uh, he's naturally a uh, total heel, just a real shit stain of a person uh, on screen. And uh, I don't want to get too much into like his personal life because I don't know him or anything. Uh, But he does have a habit of uh, getting himself into situations that he should not be in. And yet he still does it. Uh, if he had uh, stayed off Twitter, it probably would have helped this not happen. But honestly, when someone decides they want to fight, you can have as much security as you want. There's going to be something happening with them. Once you've set your mind to it, there will be an event of some sort. Yeah, this is uh, this is definitely not the uh, end of the road as far as any kind of drama with either Andrade or Sammy Guevara or c- potentially between the two. We do know that Sammy and Eddie Kingston ended up squashing their drama um, with a handshake in the back, which always a good sign to see uh, adults figure it out, especially wrestlers who are just, they're wired completely differently than the rest of us. Um, but as a result of this, the match between um, 10 or Preston Vance uh, versus Andrade, which was mask versus career ended up getting canceled for rampage. And they modified that to a dark order versus death triangle trios match, which main evented uh, the live rampage. And I wonder if we're en- going to end up giving you're getting this match at some point down the line. Honestly, I don't care if they do because they had not really done a good job of building it. So, frankly, I think this is kind of a blessing in in disguise with regards to the booking of the mask versus career match. I think that uh, if you're going to have a mask match, you should at least make it mean something, right? And with 10 largely being on the sidelines this year, at least as far as television is concerned, I don't see where you've really done much to build up that match, uh, specifically that stipulation for it. So I um, I think it's to their benefit that it didn't happen. No, it absolutely was uh, to their benefit. Um, other news. Let's talk about the rating here for Dynamite. Fred. Before we jump to the rating, I want to ask you, what would you do with Andrade now if you were Tony Khan? I would um, grant him a conditional release where he could wrestle wherever he wanted except WWE. Get him out of my locker room. Let him do whatever he wants, but he can't go to WWE till his contract's finished. I would probably not do that. What I would do is I would I would just freeze his contract, at least for quite a while. Because, you know, the, the complaint would be, well, you're wasting money. The amount of money that a contract that Andrade would be making is minimal to Tony Khan. Like, if you... you the let, Let's say that Andrade is getting a cool million, just to... Just to say that, right? A flat number makes it easier. Yeah, and uh, what is the what is the Khan family worth? Um, eight billion. Eight billion. Let's just do a little math here. Make sure I got enough numbers. It's worth right. eight thousandth of their net worth. Yeah, yeah, that is less than uh, 
0.01% or just over 0.01%. Uh, they could take that hit if they want to. Uh, I hear like like Meltzer and others will be like, well, you can't just waste that money. Man, when you're that rich, you can. Like, that's just the fact. Like, you, you hear about like these sports teams that'll like Albert Pujols before his late season resurgence. Like when he was with the Angels, he was so bad. They're like, well, we'll just pay you 30 million a year to go away. So we could have the roster spot for someone that could hopefully play. Like that's just part of the doing the business. It a hundred percent is whatever you do with Andrade. It just feels like his time in the locker room is probably minimal at this point. And he kind of did it to himself, and it's really frustrating because this is a guy who is incredibly talented who can have great matches with all these wrestlers in AEW, especially how many work rate guys are here. And he's just his, his start in AEW got a little derailed by the fact that he was paired with Vicky Guerrero, which outside of the fact that they are both um, Spanish and heritage made zero sense. And now he's just kind of derailed his whole career in the company just because of attitude issues like look i get it triple h is in power and nobody could have predicted it but at the end of the day you made a commitment and if they're not willing to let you out of it you need to honor it and be a professional yeah I, it's very disappointing what he did and specifically how he decided to try to accomplish it i mean honestly just don't show up to work if you'd rather do that and i think that'd probably work out better for him um you know if you want to jump you want to jump and that makes sense but I feel like that it's an oversimplification when people say, well, just don't sign the contract because the alternative is not really getting paid well for a while. And that's not very appetizing. But I think that, you know, once you do sign a five-year contract, you have to have some realism about it. And it's not like he was being used super well by Tony Khan, but at the same time, it's he was getting, you know, like a semi-push, you know, like a, a solid mid-card kind of guy level deal. And... If you know you're so unhappy about that, you want to jump immediately to WWE. I'm not really sure that you're going to get the kind of push there either, at least long term. If he were to have already jumped over, I'm not sure what Andrade at the tail end of 2023 looks like. Just you know, but that's part of it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see. You know, there's always the possibility that they'll be able to smooth this over. I guess, but I'm not really holding my breath on it. Yeah, I'm not either. We'll just kind of see how it continues to play out if he does what Sammy and Kingston did and just kind of ends up bearing the hatchet and tries to move forward with a positive light, or if he just continues to be a train wreck. We'll find out. Uh, this Dynamite rating, Fred, both good, and I, I guess it's not, nothing's really bad. Um, 1.038 million viewers, um, 0.33 in the 18-49, to 49, down a smidge. Um, number two um, on cable, just behind uh, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Most importantly, the season finale, because those two have kind of flip-flopped between one and two for the majority of the summer. Uh, honestly, you wish the 18 to 49 was a little higher, but they're consistently getting over a million viewers, which I think is a net positive. Yeah, that's a nice, uh, nice step to finally be able to reach consistently. So, you know, a lot of the people that are particularly bothered by all the backstage drama that's been going on with them, and let's be clear, that's not desirable. You don't want the CM Punk situation. You don't want the Andrade situation. But, you know, even with that, they're doing quite well right now. It does feel like they are not as hot as they once were, but their numbers are still quite solid. 
Um, so I think that they can't be anything but happy with that TV rating. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and obviously last week was an aberration, finishing ninth on the night, but almost everything was Weather Chan related. And then one of those was Tucker Carlson, who um, I, I did not watch the Tucker Carlson show last Wednesday, but I can almost guarantee you that it was weather related because that was the big story um, throughout the course of America. Um, honestly, consistent rating. So nothing really to, to look at there. Um, let's talk about Soraya, Fred, because she apparently is cleared. She got physical uh, in the ring uh, after the match on Wednesday. Britt Baker said earlier in the show that she wasn't cleared, kind of poking fun at her. And AW has done everything to tell you that she's cleared without actually saying that she's cleared. So until they officially announce it, I think we can assume that she is. But I, how do you think that they've done promoting her in that sense and continuing the storyline of we really don't know, kind of leaving everybody in limbo? It's it's very odd. Um, you know, I thought it was odd when, uh, last week they didn't really advance it. Instead, they just had the whole terrible, terrible segment. Um, you know, the week before, I guess I should say, but on this past time, I, I felt like they did pretty well. They kind of put her on the back burner a little bit and let the rest of the division stand out, which was a smart move, particularly considering how she unintentionally overshadowed the entire division and not in like a good superstar way, but in a bad, poorly booked way. Um, I thought that, uh, the, you know, having Brit in a very heelish way, so it was obvious what she was trying to say, uh, cut a promo about how Soraya will, Soraya will never be cleared. And then Soraya getting in the ring and, uh, throwing it, throwing elbows and forearms with Brit was, uh, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it's pretty clear what's going on. Uh, the only reason I had any pause at all was just the, the angle the week before that really didn't accomplish anything positive. But I'm consciously optimistic at this point. I'm not like particularly jazzed about a Soraya match, but I think it's pretty clear that she is going to have one. And uh, I guess we'll see how that goes. I'm keeping this at arm's length until we really get a full answer, because this is very weird, to say the least. I mean, they're basically doing the same thing they did with the return of CM Punk, where you knew that CM Punk was coming back, but they just didn't say it until he actually debuted. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the same kind of deal. They aren't saying that she's cleared, but really they're saying she's cleared. Yeah. You know, if she wasn't cleared, she wouldn't be having a little brawl segment with Britt Baker. They want to have a promo where the heel tells you that she will never be cleared because that's not what a heel would say in that situation. That's a that's a baby face kind of commissioner or Tony Schiavone spot, you know, to mm-hmm. be like, well, actually, we'll never see her actually wrestle. Britt Baker is lying because she's a jerk, and that's the whole character, and that's the whole gimmick. So I mean, I think it's pretty clear where they're going with this. I'd assume that there's going to be a match between the two on the next pay-per-view and that this is just part of setting it up. Uh, but we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. And as we continue with the news, um, one thing to report on the elite and punk investigation, it's in a holding pattern because someone threatened legal action. Um, there have been some rumors as to who was the one who threatened it. But at this point, we don't really know anything, so we won't we won't speculate on it. Um, it just kind of is what it is at this point. There were some rumors um, that were kind of uh, floating around wrestling Twitter that the elite may be showing up on this past week's dynamite. 
obviously that didn't happen. I still think that the most likely scenario is they are back either at or after full gear, but this is all in just this weird holding pattern until something gets figured out. Yeah, I I am kind of... I'm not sure how much I buy the threat of legal action being what will hold it up. I think it's more that they want to make sure everything's in the clear before they move forward with whatever actions they're going to take. Because again, you know, I brought this up before in the past when it comes to lawsuits, it's really a contest of who has the most money and you have to misstep pretty egregiously if you're the richer party to really face much in the way of consequences, because you can really drag these things out if you want to. And Tony Khan's the billionaire and, you know, whichever the talent is actually the one that has threatened legal action, they're, you know, a few zeros behind. So it's a question of, do you actually want to invest the money into this lawsuit? Um, how angry are you and how much money do you want to spend on that anger? Um, you know, I I think it's probably just, you know, that's part of it maybe, but I think most of it is probably just making sure that all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. 100% agree. Um, as we continue to move on, a couple contract-related things. Uh Dan Lambert says it was his decision to leave AEW because he thought he was getting stale. Uh, real territory stuff from Lambert there, which honestly, I, I kind of agree. He ran his course, and hopefully that means he pops up down the line. But as of right now, it's probably a good thing that he's out of the company. Um, Roosh is AEW full-time, which... Locker room uh, leader. Ah, just the, the cleanest baby face in the world, Roosh. Um, honestly, he's, I think he's been a great addition to AEW. He's done jobs clean. He has done everything the right way. And he is a different type of wrestler to add to, I'm going to say eclectic group of wrestlers, uh, just because there's so many different styles on the roster. And that is by no means an insult. It is actually a compliment because the roster is so well-rounded and Roosh as a different element because he is a Lucha style brawler who's not going to give you super work ratey stuff, but he's going to build up matches and they're going to mean something when he's, when he's in the process of doing them. And I think that it's great that he's in AEW and this could lead to some really fun stuff down the line. Yeah. I like Roosh. He's a good uh, guy to have around and uh, he can definitely be at that like TNT, you know, title level as long as it's not elevated up to the main event again. Cause they like to do that sometimes. Um, but he could have a good program with Wardlow or, um, you know, is anyone else around that uh, level? And I think he'd fit, he fits in very nicely. Um, charismatic, uh, can go when he wants to. And frankly, the entire time he's been in there, he's wanted to. So, Absolutely. And um, another contract-related note, Bandito has yet to sign a contract. He did receive a WWE offer, which should come as no surprise after listening to last week's show. Um, but he has said, said he is still expected to sign with AEW, which Bandito on this roster. And obviously we know the history of Bandito and the elite just because of all out and how they really tried to um, showcase him. Albeit it was four years ago, but they understood that this guy was a talent and he has kind of really exploded on the scene since then, including being the ROH world champion. I think Bandito on this roster would be great, and I hope that they can secure this deal. Uh, I hope so. I I still will maintain my position that it was extremely foolish to 
not have him, you know, sign a deal before you put him on TV in that spot. I still think that it doesn't sound like it will lead to an issue, but it could. And that's not the kind of issue you want to have pop up where you basically promoted this guy at a high level, got him a lot of attention and uh, whoopsie has just jumped off to the competition. Uh, but he is apparently in Japan right now, and Per Meltzer did not sign before he went over there. Yeah, it's one of those things. We'll we'll kind of have to see how it goes, but um, it'll probably mean nothing. But man, just if it does, oof, that's going to be a rough one. Oh, hundred um, percent. AW is currently off space. Um, which is the TV channel that ran them in Mexico, South and Central America, and the Caribbean. It is still on space in Brazil, um, but someone did infer to Dave Meltzer that they were getting a bigger deal. Um, and apparently the announcers allegedly didn't speak Spanish, which considering that pretty much that entire base uh, of your clientele speaks Spanish in South America, it's not exactly logistically a smart thing. So hopefully yeah, that this leads bad, to something yeah. bigger and better. Uh, is it Abraham Delgado that has talked about this uh, in the writer slack some about yeah. his pleasure with their the quality of their announcing? He has said these exact things before, and before Meltzer mentioned them. Um, I'm not I'm not very fluent in Spanish. I'm trying to learn it uh, right now, but I've never actually switched over to the other feed. But outside of when the um, the one guy they had on staff uh, got himself in hot water for uh, I forget exactly what he did to, to the the Spanish announcer that screwed up and lost his job. Um, do you remember what he said? Ooh, was no, it sexist? Was it something like about how women wrestlers suck? Or I, I can't remember. It wasn't good. Yeah, it was bad. Um, uh, let's see if I can find that real quick. Um, but yeah, other than that, like that was a rough. You know, Willie Orbina. Um, oh, he did a uh, he did a weird uh, Asian accent deal when Hikaru Shida came out one time. Um, yeah, the, the, but apparently their Spanish language announcers are not good and don't do a good job of calling it in the language they need to be calling it in. And uh, that's that's a that's a rough look, man. No, hundred percent. A couple other news and notes before we really uh, get into this. Really fun show. Um, Ruby Soho, uh, we talked about it earlier, um, did have surgery to correct her broken nose. Who knows how long she'll be out, but um, the pictures showed that it it seemed to be a relatively serious procedure as far as what a broken nose would entail. So all of our best go to her. Um, They set up a GoFundMe for Dennis Bowe, who was an audio technician for AEW, lost his home in Hurricane Ian. Really cool to see how many people donated large sums of money uh, to this individual, including guys like Tony Khan and Chris Jericho. Um, Eddie Kingston pulled out of the Warrior Wrestling Show due to his mother's house flooding from the storm, which really frustrating element from that because Eddie Kingston was the was the get right um, yeah, addition to that Warrior Wrestling Show because they wouldn't allow the Briscoes versus the Lucha Brothers on that show. Yeah, he was the make good, and then he couldn't make good. So that's unfortunate for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple more real quick things. Lee Johnson and Julia Hart are engaged. Um, Happy, good for, good for both of them. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, and Chris Tatlander were on The Floor is Lava on Netflix. So uh, if you want to see something 
really fun and interesting. Uh, considering those three individuals, I would bet that's a hoot of a time. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. I haven't watched it myself yet, but uh, yeah, that is uh, now available to be watched. I know some people are looking forward to that. So, yeah. Well, Fred, let's uh, let's get to talking about this this show. I'm gonna pull up my notes, and we we will get this rocking and rolling. The third year anniversary. Yeah, this is. We are now in the fourth year of AEW Dynamite officially. This is also the two-year anniversary of Brody Brody Lee's last match in AEW, which was all over this and Rampage. Um, overall, I thought this was a really fun show. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. It was a fun show. Um, very uh, several good matches. Maybe the only good celebration angle in wrestling history. <laughs> Uh, but overall, very great, great stuff. Yeah, um, and it was nonstop. It was go, 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 go the whole time. And this, they've done a couple small overruns, like a few minutes. This had a 15-minute overrun special for this show. So if you ended up missing um, a lot of the main event due to that overrun, um, I apologize. That's That is never fun. But it did provide for some more action. And we started off with MJF versus Wheeler Yuta, um, with William Regal joining uh, the broadcast booth. It, it This was MJF's first match since uh, he lost to Wardlow at Double or Nothing, which was 129 days prior. And overall, I thought this was a really good match. Um, MJF worked really well with Yuta. They kind of went back and forth. And then after... Um, MJF uh, got um, the win with the the modified Fujiwara armbar they call Salt of the Earth. Um, Stokely Hathaway jumped into the ring, gave him the Dynamite Diamond, and um, it was this was really cool because MJF did not look like he wanted to accept it, and he wanted to kind of go the babyface route. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, I loved this match. I thought it was great. I went four and a quarter on it. Uh, just really great uh, work by both Yuta and MGF here. Uh, but I thought that the post-match was uh, kind of weird. You know, it feels like the wrong time to be teasing a MGF, MJF uh, babyface turn. I wouldn't really say that, you know, it is the right time to do that. But uh, but I liked the match a lot. I thought it was uh, really good. I thought that it showed that MGF can hang. It, it helped legitimize himself some. In the ring, not that he necessarily needed that, but I mean, as far as a uh, as a guy that can actually win a match without all kinds of gimmicks and the the diamond ring and all that stuff, um, I thought it came off quite well. Absolutely, and they did throughout the rest of the show make more mentions of MJF cashing in. So even more speculation on whether this is a red herring or going to be legit. So that discourse is always fun. But one of the cool parts about this show. It continued and continued and continued. It did not let up. There weren't a lot of video packages. Um, we got Darby Allen versus Jay Lethal. And the critical part of this match was Jay Lethal told Satnam Singh and uh, Sanjay Dutt to stay in the back. And they ended up coming out anyway onto that short stage, which we'll end up talking about here. The fact that this this venue did not look... It did not look major league compared to some of the other AEW shows. And... 
Darby um, ended up getting the win. Um, what is a, it's the last supper that pinning combination. Yes. yes. And um, Darby ended up getting lethal to shake his hand. And it, it kind of felt like the beginning potentially of a baby face turn for lethal. Yeah, it might be. Um, I feel like that's oddly timed unless you're bringing back ring of honor as an actual separate thing. And in such circumstances, trying to position Jay lethal as like the ring of honor, original baby face kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like this. It was very solid. Uh, three and a half stars, just a, a good match. Um, I thought it was weird uh, to have the handshake angle right after the MGF Yuta handshake angle. They were really pushing the Ring of Honor stuff hard last night, or hard on the show, I should say. And uh, it's kind of unusual for like the third anniversary of AEW to spend so much time on Ring of Honor, I thought. Yeah. Not, not bad, necessarily, just unusual. The, you know, let's talk about it, because uh, who was it? Um... I know Wade Keller was really bothered by it. That's who um, Wade Keller um, said uh, specifically mentioned that AEW mentioned ROH. I think what was it sixty four times, and at, during the show, I'm like, look, breaking out the tally marks. Yeah, and you know what? This is incredibly stupid because one, Wade Keller is a smart guy. He understands the wrestling business. So why does he not understand that? Every th- wrestling's canon is AEW's canon, and ROH doesn't have TV right now. So Tony Khan is promoting his other promotion on his main show while intermingling the storylines. Like it's really simple. Yet Keller just seems to want to be negative about AEW, like he thinks he's Mike Tanay. There's a situation with AEW. It's it's kind of funny. I mean, first of all, I know that we're doing an AEW podcast. I know that I'm generally quite positive about the promotion, but that's not to say that there are not things to criticize about it. Uh, and it doesn't even have to be like big big things like the Soraya, um, you know, mishap of a you know two episodes ago, but just small week to week things you can nitpick and point at. But it feels like that people just can't criticize AEW like normally. Like it has to be this, not only is it bad, but it's actively killing the company and they're all going to die and it's really bad and you should feel bad for liking it kind of stuff. And it's kind of a AEW derangement syndrome of sorts. Like you just can't leave it at, I, I thought that the booking on this was weird or bad. Like you have to elevate it to some really disastrous level that it isn't deserved. You know, because I don't think there's any any real sign that, like, you know, the uh, giant air quotes here, casual fans tuned in to watch Dynamite were like, oh, there's there's all these mentions of Ring of Honor, and I can't handle it mentally. Like, my brain is just melting right now. It, it, that's There's no, I mean, they hit, you know, they're still, their TV ratings are great. Their ticket sales are down, and that's a separate issue. Uh, eventually, it may bleed into the, TV ratings, which would be a major point of concern. Um, but, you know, it's just very weird to me. There was another um, fairly high-profile guy, and, you know, this isn't, like, even the the Eric Bischoff guys type that uh, have, you know, that are either financially tied to the company that AEW is trying to compete against, like, you know, Road Dog and Booker T. Uh, but there's, you know, the Eric Bischoff's the type that um, have figured out that if they talk bad about AEW, they will get a lot of attention from a certain segment of the online wrestling fandom and uh, financially benefit from that. 
Uh, it, but even the people, you know, the people like Keller that don't have that kind of situation, they they like to just amplify everything. I feel like out of proportion. And for example, another thing, uh, Dave Meltzer does this a little bit. He's not as bad as Keller, but Meltzer will like constantly bring up, oh, they have so much talent there. You know, I think that it, it's they shouldn't be signing people. Um, but when you know, Triple H brings back everyone that ever spent a minute in the NXT ring over the past decade. You know, there's no, that isn't criticized the same way. Even though the, the WWE roster is similarly stacked. It, it feels like that there's just some of these same criticisms aren't being applied all around to other companies. And it's unusual. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. And I just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network. It's Eufy. And let me tell you a little bit about their newest product, the Eufy Video Smart E330. This isn't your everyday smart lock. This is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell offering triple the security and triple the convenience. Instead of loading up your door with a bunch of different devices, you install one, and it takes care of everything in a complete package. It's not just about the home security, though. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is also for convenience. No more worrying about losing keys. You can let each member of your family get a password. You can monitor their movement in and out of the house. You can keep an eye on your packages. You can check in on your house while you're away. There is so much you can do with this product. Best of all, it is easy to install and set up. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver. Leave that drill in the toolbox. The Eufy has keyless entry, a 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, a rechargeable battery with a four month lifespan, two-way audio from the lock, enhanced night vision, 24-7 customer support, and you'll love this, none of those pesky monthly fees. Eufy sent me a Smart Lock 330 and I've loved it so far. It allows me peace of mind when I'm at work or when I'm away on one of my patented vacations. Plus, it helps me keep track of deliveries to the house, saves me a trip back to the car if I just need to run in for something and I forgot my keys, and the two-way audio system works well for those unwanted guests at my front door. No, I do not need new siding or windows or a roof. Thank you, though. You can simply tell them you aren't interested from the comfort of your couch. Now, are you ready to ditch the others and join the Eufy revolution? Of course you are. Get started today by searching Eufy Video Lock on your search engine of choice. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can finally, once and for all, gain complete control of your door. Once again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock ufiofficial.com slash video lock and we thank them for sponsoring the voice wrestling podcast network uh if you're talking tyler you're on mute hey i did it again oh i i am so talented fred we're gonna leave that in there just because it's funny and i deserve to be buried um so uh I think you mentioned it earlier. And if you didn't, I was thinking it. Um, it's the WWE derangement syndrome where everything that WWE does is right. And if it's different, it's wrong. And so much of this has been implemented in our brains because WWE was the main form of American wrestling over the last 20 years. And it's tough because it's okay to be different. It's okay to be, to try something new and, 
you can have great wrestling presented in a different style. Just look at worldwide, like Lucha, Japan, and even just within Japan, there's multiple different types of wrestling. There's deathmatch, there's work rate, there's like dramatic performance. Like it's okay to be different. You don't have to be within the context of one script, one style. Like just look at like football, how many different types of offenses and defenses are successful. You don't have to do it in one specific way in order to be good. And the well, fact even that- within football, like on college football in particular, when you watch a game on Fox is a different experience than on ABC or ESPN, than a different experience from NBC, how they do it. You know, there's different ways to present wrestling just as a, a television project or product, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, AW shoots things differently. They don't script everything. And, you know, I would say, you know, that the lack of scripting has been overall a large positive for them. Is it fair to say that there have been people that haven't benefited from the lack of scripting? Yeah, sure. You know, there are probably people that would have done better if they had someone script their promos for them. Um, but at the same time, I don't think you would have had as excellent promos from all these great you know, talkers on the AEW roster, whether it be Moxley, CM Punk, um, you know, going on to MJF, all these guys. I think even um, Jack Perry probably does better with unscripted than scripted, just from what I've seen of him. That's just my guess. Um, And I wouldn't really qualify him as even a good promo on an average day. Um, Having more creative freedom typically plays out well, I think, for your average high-level wrestler. Um, but like the idea that you can't talk about Ring of Honor when it's already integrated into AEW is kind of absurd. I mean, it is absurd. It's not kind of. I mean, they they're working it into the show itself. I don't see anything wrong with that. I, I don't see anything wrong with it either. And it just it bothers me that there are so many people that think that it can only be one way. Yeah, and the people that are arguing that are basically showing their ass. I mean, it when I hear that, like it makes it hard for me to take any of your actual criticism seriously. And uh, again, I will repeat, and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face: there are things about AEW I don't like. There are things about AEW I wish they would change. Uh, but I think, relatively speaking, to you know WWE, where I feel like it's very uh, shallow and unrealistic, you know, I think that AEW does a better job overall. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that like nothing is good in WWE. I just, you know, prefer the AEW style better overall. Um, but I don't know. It, it's, you know, there's a lot of goodwill to WWE because they're the bigger company and uh, they've been around for so long. So obviously if they were doing something wrong, they would suffer, I guess would be the, the point of view on it, but that's not really borne out by, you know, essentially what has been a, near uh, monopoly um, of the market that they've had for decades. Yeah, hundred um, percent. This is, this company is overall net good. And it, it just, the brain worms that it gets with some people just drives me up a wall. But what also drove me up a wall, we got Prince Nana on TV, Fred. We yeah. Prince Nana. That was the money. Like I, I love it. Just the, the little things that this company does to, uh, bring back and um, appreciate the history of wrestling is great. And he obviously came out with uh, the machine, Brian cage uh, versus um, Mr. Mayhem Wardlow in the TNT uh, title match. And I got to say, this was just a fun Haas fight. Just 
doing a bunch of moves and kicking the living crap out of each other. And then you got the four powerbomb symphony from Wardlow to finish off cage. I thought this was a really good three and a half star match. Nothing real special. Just two dudes beating each other up. Yeah, I had a blast with it. I thought it was a, a very special match. Um, it was kind of like a modern uh, version of the big guys hitting each other. You know, the the beef, you know, big beefy men slapping meat, uh, biggie quote, uh, only with uh, extra flips thrown in because it's 2022 and that's how people work. Um, I think Brian Cage, I don't know if Brian Cage is a good wrestler or not. And that's something I've kind of struggled with for ever since I first saw him on a PWG DVD, DVD like seven years ago. Um, he has some stuff that he's really good at and he has some stuff that he's not so good at, but I, the way I would describe Brian Cage to someone that had never seen him before is imagine that you have your SmackDown, here comes the pain, create a wrestler maxed out and also have unlocked all the cool moves and just assigned them all. And that is the Brian Cage experience. Like he just, his approach to wrestling is just, I will do cool shit. And then once I've done some cool shit, I will do some more cool shit. He's a guy that you feel like should be a world champion everywhere. And then when you watch him wrestle, it's all, it feels like he's wrestling in slow motion, but in a bad way. Like, it's, Sometimes, yeah. Some, I, I don't know that he has like the win to be like a single star, you know, the stamina. And I feel like sometimes he tries to do stuff and it doesn't work out as well as he hoped it would. I kind of think his best spot would be like the the muscle in a heel tag team or trio spot, and hopefully we'll get to see that from him some in the uh, with, especially with the new trios division. But I think he might slot in well there. You know, just have him come in for five minutes, be a bully, do some cool stuff, and then tag mm-hmm. back out. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, after the match, uh, the Gates of Agony um, rush the ring to uh, punish Wardlow, and then Samoa Joe sprinted down. Um, the embassy did have the numbers, but FTR's music hits, and looks like we're setting up FTR versus the Gates of Agony, which actually happened on the Battle of the Belt show. It did. Um, and look, this is just really good stuff. Uh, FTR said um, at the Royal Quest show, hey, Tony Khan, book us. And he did. They got a show, and uh, they got to do a match, and we'll <laughs> talk about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, Britt Baker uh, had a pre-tape. Um, Soraya will not be competing in AEW. Doctors have not cleared her to compete, so I guess that makes this my house now. And then that led into the trios match, which was um, AEW Inter- Women's World Champion Tony Storm, Athena, and Willow Nightingale with Soraya in their corner uh, versus Jamie Hayter, Penelope Ford, uh, and Serena Deeb with Dr. Britt Baker in their corner. This was fine, but I think the most important part of this match was, one, Nightingale got the win. Yes. And... Then you had uh, Britt Baker come in. They were starting to kick everybody's ass. And then Soraya ended up getting physical. And I think those were the two most important parts of this match. The wrestling itself was fine. Um, I really like Willow Nightingale. And I think she has a future, especially as like a, a plucky baby face. But those two things were w- what I really took away from this match. Yeah, those are the two big takeaways. I actually liked this match quite a bit and thought it was the best uh, women's match in uh, a couple weeks at least. Um, I thought everyone looked good and had their working shoes on and uh, for the, you know practically everything was landed well. So I thought it turned out quite well in that regard. Uh, Willow Nightingale, you know, my wife uh, made this comparison first. Uh, she really reminds me of like NXT era Bailey, the super bubbly. I like uh, that. Yeah, she's got 
so much charisma. She just feels like a, a natural babyface star. And she's really been winning over the crowd with every appearance over the past few weeks. I'm very optimistic about this. I really hope they've been, they keep pushing her. I've been saying this, I think, ever since we started the show, basically. I think she is a potential, potential star if they handle her right, which basically would amount to like not you know having her be a jobber at this point. Uh, but I think she can definitely be something for them and help out the division. I 100% agree. And like she has a she has a different look compared to a lot of the division and I think that can really be a huge benefit for her because you do like to have variety um, yeah, for both sure. in your men's and women's divisions and she she just provides a different look and energy than the rest of the the locker room and I think that that needs to be a focus. She feels extremely organic when she's on t- uh, on the camera, just like a natural baby face. Um, I, I'm all in on her. Absolutely agree. And I am all in on her, too. And now comes the best part of the show. National Scissoring Day. And this was just as ludicrous and ridiculous as you could think it is. Um, Billy ended up gifting them a giant gold pair of scissors because it was National Scissoring Day. Um, it just awesome stuff. Great stuff. Uh, just a complete goofball segment. We had Mark Sterling come out and uh, be a complete geek, which he's great at being. We had Swerve come out and try to ruin the party. But, of course, you know, the 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 love of scissoring in the na- nation's capital is just too much um, for them to uh, overcome. And then uh, they dropped the, uh, the scissor leg drop on uh, Sterling. He's still walking gingerly when it comes to Rampage a couple days later. But, yeah, I thought this was a really fun segment. Um, and I thought everyone uh, came off looking good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Schiavone was then backstage with Madison Rain and Sky Blue. Um, and that set up a tag team match for Rampage with Anna Jay and Tay Mello. Um, and we will talk about that in a little bit. Um, you're going to have to lead us through this one, uh, Fred, because I had some issues with my with Hulu TV when I was watching Hangman Page versus Roosh. Um, what I saw was pretty good, but I had a lot of Internet issues, so I, I did miss a good amount of it. Uh, why don't you help us through? Well, I liked this match pretty well. It was solid. It wasn't like a, a go-out-of-your-way kind of thing. I went three-and-a-half stars on it. But both Paige and Roosh uh, put on a good, solid performance, and it was a you know a good TV match. Um, I'm not going to like remember this too much at the end of the year or anything, but you know it was enjoyable for what it was. Um, and, of course, it continued to push the private party split from, um, air quotes, the Andrade family office. Uh, we'll see how that goes moving forward. Um, but... You know, and earlier in the show, they had pushed their issues with Jose, the assistant, and and, and uh, Roosh. Um, but yeah, this was a good match. Afterwards, Mox came out and uh, cut a face-to-face promo with Adam Page, um, which was shockingly quite good. Uh, it may surprise you, Tyler, but John Moxley is good at talking about pro wrestling to hype matches. Oh, big news. Uh, I know. And... Um, and then uh, Paige basically challenged him right there, right then. And Mox said, hey, I like you, but uh, I'm going to let that slide. So they're still building towards Cincinnati. And this was a very solid segment. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then we did get, um, after Willow Nightingale's uh, big win, uh, she said at Battle of the Belts, I want to challenge for the TBS title. Jade and the Baddies crashed the interview with Tony Schiavone. And Willow said that Jade can't win forever, which I it's going to happen at some point. 
Jade is going to lose the belt, and I think this is just the beginning of that seed. Oh, that's uh, yeah. I I think this definitely pushed it some and um, made it feel like that that would be. You know, I, I think we're getting towards the tail end of Jade's run with that championship, and I kind of wonder if it's going to be Willow that'll take it off her, given um, all of her, uh, you know, basically the her rise up the card and this promo, and then the match, the subsequent match, uh, where she got some good uh, near win spots. Uh, but all in all, yeah, I thought this was a solid segment. hundred percent. And then as we kind of continue on, we had Luchasaurus uh, with Christian Cage taking on Fuego del Sol. Uh, it was a squash, but the big thing was Jungle Boy ran down the ring and cracked Luchasaurus with the chair. And he said, look at me. You were my best friend in the entire world. After everything we've been through together, you chose him and you broke my heart. But now I'm going to break your fingers. I'm going to break your nose. I'm going to break your arm. I'm going to break you piece by miserable piece until I break you. You pick the time and you pick the place. I'll be ready. And it sounds like that's going to happen in Toronto next Wednesday. Jungle Boy versus Luchasaurus because Christian Cage is still on the shelf. This could be good. Yeah, I think I think the match could be good. Uh, I'm very interested. I think it's very interesting that uh, they are doing that in Toronto with Christian affiliated with Luchasaurus in the, their Canadian debut. I feel like that's a recipe for the crowd to turn on Jungle Boy. And I'm not really sure that's what they want to happen. But, you know, I guess we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that that could be very interesting. Um, and then we got to our overrun match, which was the ROH Peer Champion Daniel Garcia and the American Dragon Brian Danielson. And it was worth noting that Daniel Garcia did come out of the face tunnel, not the heel tunnel, uh, and versus ROH World Champion The Ocho, Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. This was a very good match. Um, I, I thought it was noteworthy that at the end um, that Sammy ended up getting the win. Uh, I, th- there was a cheating spot, and I, I just cannot remember, and I can't find it in my notes where the cheating spot was. Uh, Jericho uh, did a belt shot. I was It was a belt shot, and Sammy ended up covering Garcia and got the win, which anytime Sammy was doing anything just got massive massive heat yeah now i don't know if sammy's heat came from the thing with andrade or just from sammy being sammy and also kind of being gross with Tay conti in the real bunch of pda kind of way um we've seen before that like sometimes the aw crowd is up on what has happened you know backstage and got reported and then sometimes they aren't like again the easy example is a few weeks ago when max caster referenced the talent meeting after the CM Punk fallout uh, backstage and no one reacted in the crowd, you know, when right, right when uh, the acclaimed were at like their peak as a hot act. So mm-hmm. there's only so much that they do know about, but I also feel like, you know, maybe they, some of them did know about it and told people around them, but also I think you don't need that for Sammy to be pretty well hated. I mean, and he's just a good heel. Like that's another thing with him, you know. Mm-hmm. Like he he's kind of a dipshit, but he's also good at being a pro wrestling dipshit as a character. So, yeah, one thousand percent agree. Um, I love this match. I thought it was a lot of fun. I went four and a half stars on it. I thought it was definitely worth your time to go out of your way to watch uh, Daniel Garcia. Uh, it keeps you know putting on great performances and is obviously going to be a star in the future. 
Uh, I mean, hell, he's already halfway to being a star right now. Uh, Jericho and Danielson are total pros, and Sammy Guevara had a good match too. So, I really feel like they're going to strap the rocket uh, to Daniel Garcia, especially once they end up finishing the stuff with Jericho as far as the quote-unquote official turn. Because as much as it that we've seen, we haven't seen anything truly official yet because I think they're going to have that moment here soon, and that's really going to uh, take hold, and he's going to get the rocket. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that he's got the talent, and just this whole year, he's been just building up uh, perfectly as a top star. So Absolutely. that does it for Dynamite. Yes, and then we have Rampage, which started off Rampage, the- baby. Uh, it's Friday night. You know what that means? Uh, Claudio Castagnoli, Wheeler Yuta, and AW World Champion John Moxley, the Blackpool Combat Club versus uh, La Facción in Gobernales. Uh, Roosh, Isaiah Cassidy, and Mark Quinn. It's a fun match. A um, lot of uh, fun spots. Uh, you had uh, Yuta hitting a um, frog splash to the outside on that weird stage, which they had set up for a second consecutive show. And then Yuta ended up uh, getting the pin. Yeah, uh, it was a very solid match. Do you want to talk about the, uh, the the building they were in and the setup they used and everything here? Yeah, let's do that because it. Look, I understand it that TV, shitty. TV sales have not necessarily been great. They only got thirty one hundred, I think, for Dynamite. I do not have the Rampage number in front of me. It looked very bush league, and uh, when they're at Daly's place, it doesn't look very bush league because there is an element of hey, there's not a lot of space in this venue because it, it's an amphitheater, so everything is backing up then you, you just kind of have that understanding, especially when they, they show the whole crowd and how the building lays out. This was a basketball arena, and it had that same feel, but instead of feeling like, hey, this is just a unique venue, just felt really Bush League and crap. Um, I understand that you're not going to be able to sell 10,000 tickets to every single show, with kind of, especially with where this company is at and how many people have just been going to things and things and things, and they're really spamming markets a little too much at this point. Yeah, they need, to, they need to start hitting other cities. Yeah, you're not going to be able to fill up basketball arenas. That's fine. But if you uh, know you're not going to be able to make them, you have to be able to figure out how to make them look better. And quite frankly, this looked like shit. Yeah, it was rough, man. And... um you know, the most recent update I'm seeing on WrestleTix, uh, which is a great service if you care about these kind of uh, numbers, is that as of uh, Thursday morning, uh, Rampage had, uh, let's see here, 2,200 tickets distributed. Granted, they still had about 36 hours uh, to, you know, the actual showtime, but still, that's not a great number. But it was only set up for 3,700. Yeah. Um, and- that's rough. <laughs> Like, it's just frustrating. And I think this is something that Tony Khan's going to figure out as time goes on. Like, um, you have to make your setup look major league, even if you're not going to get the ticket sales. Like, hey, like when they go to Texas, they run the Curtis Caldwell Center. It's what, like 5,000? But because of how the building lays out, they still make it look like a major league venue. Like, you you can spice things up a little bit. Like, I'll never forget... When I went to the G1 show in Dallas and they ran the American Airlines Center, which we all know that it was, they got a hell of a deal and 
New Japan really didn't care about tenting stuff off. Like the optics on TV looked like crap in yeah. a building. It was, it was fine. Nobody cared. It was just, it was great. You were just focused on the wrestling and it was very loud considering, but if you know, you're going to only have like three, 4,000 people. Why are you running a basketball arena? Like maybe find something different. Yeah. Now granted, this is the smaller Washington DC basketball arena. It is the home of the Washington mystics of the WNBA and the G league team, the capital city go, go. What a name. Uh, but it's uh, there is on site a practice facility for the Wizards, but the Wizards, of course, play in a different arena. Um, so this isn't like some massive uh, building. In fact, let me pull up Wikipedia for there. Uh, the detailed capacity on it uh, for concerts and basketball games is just over 4,100. So it's not like they had it set up for really much less than that. There were 400 seats lost between the two, roughly. So that's probably just the TV setup with the stage and everything. Uh, but still, you know, that's a, that's still a small building. That's, uh, you know, probably not what you want for you, especially for your anniversary show. Yeah. Um, just not great stuff. And as we kind of continue on with this show, we had, uh, essentially a squash here with Josh Woods and Tony Nice defeating the varsity blondes. Um, Arn Anderson was, yeah, Arn Anderson was watching on a monitor backstage, which, uh, could place, uh, something down the line. The real important thing at the end was Smart Mark Sterling entered the ring and he trademarked the term varsity in professional wrestling and he's giving it to Nice and Woods and calling them the varsity athletes. And um, we they got interrupted by the acclaimed um, and forced them to retreat. And it looks like we may be getting a small program with the acclaimed and the varsity athletes, which could be a really fun TV title match. Yeah, I like this decent Woods team. I wouldn't let them stiff a belt anytime soon, but they're they're perfectly serviceable heel mid card tag team. You know, they're they're very good at what they do. I don't see them being any higher uh, up the card really at any point in time. But I think that they work well as a tag team, and it's nice to see them. You know, be you know officially a tag team, if you will, like actually have matching gear and the team name and everything. So I'm uh you know I'm fairly happy about you know that. And as you should be, Fred. Um, the next one was Madison Raid and Sky Blue versus Anna J A S and Tay Mello. Look, it was a match. We've talked about Madison Rain looking really, really bad in this company. This, uh, like, her left-handed like forearm shots looked kind of funky. Like, but outside of that. This was fine. This was like a gentleman's three. It was it was good. It wasn't egregious. It didn't make me want to rip my eyes out because they were botching stuff. It was fine. Yeah, I, I just went a solid two stars on this, but this was just a very average match for me, which is not a bad thing, you know, especially with uh Raid and Sky Blue as one of the teams. You know, I don't have anything bad to say about it. It was just uh just a complete total match. Yeah. It it existed in the context of the show, um, but the best match of the night uh, before we got to Battle of the Belts was Death Triangle defeating Dark Order. Um, and what was really interesting is Roosh came out, handed Pat the hammer that uh, he... I can't remember who he used on. I think he used on Orange Cassidy the week prior to retain yeah. the All-Atlantic title. Knocked Reynolds out and then had him in the brutalizer and Reynolds was still out 
and then he ended up picking the win up before Rampage. And I thought that was really interesting um, be- because obviously we know that uh, La Faxion and Gobernable is trying to get 10 over Jose the Assistant, ended up giving 10 an envelope, and that's when Rush ended up giving the hammer to Pack. It was a very interesting element to this whole story because now you kind of have um, Pack and Death Triangle in cahoots with Roosh. How is that going to play in? Or is this just another thing for 10 and it, it just happens the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Like It, it was a very weird finish to the match that is going to have some um, consequences down the line. Yeah, and I think that it's... Um... It, it could set up several things, I think. I'm not saying all these will happen. It could potentially lead to a split of the death triangle. Not that I necessarily want that, mind you. But, you know, Pac is definitely working as a heel while the Lucha Bros are total baby faces so far. Uh, it could lead to future finishes with uh, Pac. You know, uh, one assumes that he'll be facing Orange Cassidy again in a rematch. Then for that match, you could have uh, Pac win with another hammer shot. You could have Orange Cassidy, you know, do a reversal of fortune and get get the hammer shot himself. Or you could even have Orange Cassidy pick up the win with the hammer shot and then have a dusty finish where, if you remember, uh, like two weeks ago, there was Tony Khan made a big deal about uh, how, you know, Paul Turner is going to help crack down on cheating and then they promptly stopped doing that. Uh, but they could always just have a uh, second referee come out and do the, uh, the baby face actually used a hammer. So the heel should win and keep the belt kind of deal. Um, I don't know. I, it opens up several things and uh, you know, maybe the dark order will lose Preston Vance uh, to, um, you know, the, the Roosh uh, stable, I guess now it is without Andrade around. Um, could potentially fill a bigger role there. I don't know. There's a lot of moving parts with these groups, and it's kind of interesting right now. Very interesting, and I'm I'm really excited to kind of see how things go. Um, and then next we have the Battle of the Belts 4, which on paper, you could argue that this was the strongest uh, Battle of the Belts. Yeah, it, it had a very solid card. Uh, some of the previous ones have had like even sub-Rampage cards, which kind of, to me, undermined the point of Battle of the Belts. But I thought this one was uh, quite enjoyable. Um, you could make the the argument that Pac versus Trent was the best match of the week for AW. I personally would have went with the Dynamite Tag main event. Uh, but I liked it a lot. I went four and a quarter on it. Uh, just Pac and Trent just uh, working really hard. Um Pac had a hell of a night with two straight matches for basically 40 minutes and just, you know, got through both of them like a pro, put on great performances. Um, There was a, in particular, there was a a spot where Trent did a half and a half suplex off the turnbuckle, which was just wild to see Pac take. And uh, that was a hell of a bump. And um, yeah, I liked this quite a bit. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I was unable to get Battle of the Belts because I had more Hulu TV issues, which that will not happen after this week because they are done in my house. Well, um, let me take the lead on this for you then. So after ahead. that, Jericho and 2.0 promo, which was quite solid, uh, really good. They're great together. Uh, they cut a promo on Daniel Garcia primarily and talked about how, you know, uh, Jericho knows that, you know, you want to branch out on your own, but he's going to find out that he's not ready and that he needs to come back home to the Jericho Appreciation Society. So they're still building doubt, doubt that Daniel Garcia will stick with them and stay a heel. 
And then, of course, he hyped the match with Brian Danielson and said that he would be fighting Brian Danielson, not as the Wizard or the Ocho or any other nickname, but as the Lionheart. So I hope you're ready for those yellow trunks to make a comeback. Ah, just give me White Zombie, because that's really what matters here. Uh, Jade Cargill and Willow Nightingale followed up. I thought this was, uh, for a Jade match, was on the Jade scale, it was probably like a four and a half star classic. Um, I went to... I went two and three quarter stars on it, to be clear. But for Jade, that's like four and a half stars, um, just because of where she is in her career. Willow looked great in this. Uh, they worked some really cool spots that showed off both Jade's power and Willow's just her charisma and her, uh, you know, she does that really cool uh, body block uh, with her opponent on the ground. Um, and they teased really hard that Willow was going to win with a near fall. And then Jade got the jaded immediately for the win. And then after the after the match, Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero came out. Vicky kind of distracted Nyla, or I'm sorry, Vicky distracted Jade, and Nyla Rose stole the title belt and ran off. So that was an angle that occurred on television. Uh, then there was another angle that occurred on television where Ethan Page and Stokely Hathaway were confronted by Matt Hardy, who told them to uh, stay out of their business or his business, and they're like, "Yeah, you're okay. We will." Also, you shouldn't contract tamper. We're talking about real life things through angles. <laughs> Wrestling. Uh, it was fine. Uh, Hook tore up the Trustbusters envelope. That was the entire segment that he did. And then we had the Gates of Agony versus FTR. This was a solid match. Um, you can see some um, promise with uh, Bishop Khan and, uh, oh shit, uh, is the other guy Moses? Is that right? I think so, yes. Um, yeah. Um, you know, uh, they're both. You know, uh, Toa Leona, I think it was. Um, they are promising. Uh, you can definitely see why Tony Khan wants to get them some run and some experience. Uh, they're big. They move well. Um, I think Khan in particular looks like a million bucks. Um, but this was, you know, not up to the usual standard of an FTR match. You know, if you're hoping for something high in the up high in the four star range, you know, flirting with five, this definitely wasn't what, the, what this was. This was just a a solid. 12, 15 minute uh, TV match at FTR ended up winning. And then um, we had a kind of a repeat of the, uh, you know, the previous angle involving these guys where Brian Cage came out and then Wardlow came out, but oh no, the heels had the numbers and the advantage. And then Samoa Joe came out and ran off the heels and that was the show. So uh, battle of the belts was solid, you know, perfectly acceptable. Um, make sure you watch the Trent Pock match. I would push that one pretty hard. And uh, there you go. That was the show. Hey, fun stuff. Um, honestly, AEW is just kind of on a roll right now as far as continuing to deliver work rate style matches. And I am a fan of that. And I always will be. Um, not a whole lot to go um, throughout the rest um, as far as YouTube shows. Not really anything going. But we do have a listener question. And remember, if you have any questions for us, you can either DM myself at the Real Forno on Twitter. You can DM the show Twitter account, Good Bad Hungi, or you can drop them in the Voice of Wrestling Discord, where we have our own channel called the Good, the Bad, the Hungi under the VOW Podcast Network line. Um, freaking JGM asked, "Why do you think AEW has not fixed all of its audio problems?" And Fred, you and I were kind of talking about this pre-show, and I'll let you take the lead here. Because the one that we really came to a conclusion that was really bad was Grand Slam. 
Yeah, especially the taped aspect of it, because that was when the great Muda made his uh, let's let's be generous and call it a run in um, <laughs> his uh, walk to the ring. Um, which, granted, I'm not going to crap on that. Like, is the great Muda doing a run in the U.S.? That that itself is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like apparently it got a pretty big pop in the building, and then when you watched it on TV, I I was like, oh my god, did the great Muda just die in front of a crowd? It um, sounded like nothing. Yeah, like no one cared. Um, I don't think that they're so bad with their live shows when it comes to the audio stuff. But what they're really bad at sometimes, and it's very inconsistent is the most maddening thing, is they can't seem to get their audio levels right on their pre-tape shows. Either it sounds like it's the old SmackDown vacuum cleaner, you know, crowd where they're, you know, adding in uh, cheers or else they just completely manage to deflate the crowd noise completely. Um, it's very odd sometimes. And I don't know, like, why that is, but... You know, I, I, you know, TV production is hard, I guess would be my answer. Um, you would hope they'd have it figured out, but I can understand why sometimes there's issues just because it's live or, well, not live, but, you know, I mean, TV, you know, just to repeat, is hard. Um, but it's kind of surprising that it's such a consistent issue, but at least it's been a couple years since they had the audio from an NBA game completely broadcast over a match. So, you know, <laughs> I, I remember that. That was. That was hilarious in all the worst ways. Yeah, it, they they should figure it out. And obviously, we're not going to expect perfection all the time. But considering that we're now over three years into this company, beginning with uh, Double or Nothing back in May of 2019, you think that some of these issues would have been ironed out by now. And it's very frustrating that they haven't. Yeah, because it's not, you know, when you watch something like uh, the NBA on uh, Turner, where it is live. Always, they they at least manage to have consistent audio levels. So, you know, it's you know people like to say AEW is filling in for WCW what they were back in the nineties. Uh, WCW had their uh, fair share of technical issues back then, so it's just you know another round of a wrestling promotion on Turner, you know, having issues with getting their audio set up correct. Mm-hmm. Um. Moving forward, Fred, I think the biggest storyline outside of potential return of both the Elite and CM Punk is Chris Jericho, the Ocho. He is determined to run through all of the past Ring of Honor champions, but the first one he has is Brian Danielson. Now, the two of them are one in one in singles competition. Does Chris Jericho retain the belt against Brian Danielson and kind of continue that storyline, or does Brian Danielson gain the ring of honor world title because either one of them makes total sense to be leading into uh, a potential new television deal, which when Jericho ended up winning the belt from Claudio Castagnoli, that was kind of what we anticipated was we would be getting a television deal and Jericho would be leading the charge to kind of lend some credence to the promotion. As far as advertisers, Danielson could do the same thing if he won the belt, especially with his history with ring of honor. Uh, How do you foresee that one going this upcoming Wednesday? I, to me, it's pretty clear to me that uh, Jericho is going to end up winning, probably by cheating, because the whole storyline is that Jericho is a jerk and he doesn't respect Ring of Honor, the promotion that was built around handshakes and role following. And so he's just following the heel formula for that promotion, and uh, he's probably going to do a belt shot or low blow or something and get a cheap pin on Danielson. I think it's way too soon to move the belt off him. I think he's doing uh, he's just fit in perfectly in the spot he is with this uh with the Ring of Honor title, and um, I wouldn't move it. I, I would keep it on him. 
Uh, we also have on Dynamite announced so far uh, Pac defending the All Atlantic title against Orange Cassidy. So we may see the comeback of the uh, Hammer Spot. It'll be interesting to watch that. Um, we already mentioned uh, Jungle Boy versus Luchasaurus uh, with Christian Cage in the uh, large dinosaurs corner. And then a uh, women's tag match of Tony Storm and Hikaru Shida against Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Uh, and then um, a real TEW match where you advance two years into the future. We have uh, Swerve Strickland against Billy Gunn. A main yeah. event in any building. Hey, what a random I be, match. I will be excited about that match because, look, Billy Gunn is a competent worker at this point. He's he's not going to deliver great matches, but when you have him as a base for the kind of stuff Swerve Strickland can deliver, that could be a lot of fun. And it's an easy win for Strickland to get in this feud without derailing the acclaims momentum. So I get it. I'm just not real excited for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, this uh, first show in Canada being. Um, is going to be very interesting, and I wouldn't be shocked if Tony Khan has an ace up his sleeve. Uh, Fred, before we get out of here, have you watched anything else on your backlog? I know you were talking about the G1 last week, and I want to know, have you gotten to the Juice El Fantasmo match? Uh, I have not got to that yet, but what I did was I took a break from the G1, and I pulled out physical media, and I watched PWG from this year. Uh, I, because I'm very good at following uh, dates and directions, I watched the show that came after the uh, Battle of Los Angeles, uh, which I'm forgetting the name of right now. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was very solid um, all around delivering the goods. And uh, I also watched the first day of Ebola and got uh, like two matches into the second day of Ebola. Uh, the things that I would say you have to go out of your way to watch. Um, because, you know, PWG isn't exactly what it was three years ago in terms of people paying attention to it or anything. Uh, but make sure you watch Bandito versus Speedball Mike Bailey from the first day of uh, Battle of Los Angeles. I thought that was a fantastic match with four and three quarter stars on it. Uh, there was also a Biff Busick's uh, Mike Bailey match from Delivering the Goods that I went four and a half on. Unfortunately, uh, Biff Busick has uh, returned to WWE as a coach full time. So he was teasing a match with Super Dragon that I guess we will never see. Wait, wait, and- wait. That's full time now? Because at one point he was just a guest coach. And I thought, I thought, I thought, I I thought Meltzer said that uh, Biff Busick is now uh, only lurking his uh, wares there full time. Um, but that was the impression I was under. Um I, I do know the guest coaching thing, but I thought that I saw that he was there full time. So um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Um, I don't have anything pulled up in front of me. So if I'm wrong, you know, sorry, my bad. I'm an idiot as always. Um, and then um, we also had uh, two other matches. I'll go out on my way to mention day one of Battle of Los Angeles. Blake Christian versus Wheeler Yuta was a really good kind of technical based match. And then... Um, Delivering the Goods had a great Aramis versus uh, Kanosuke Takeshita match, which I will say also opened with one of the uh, worst botches you might see this year, and then immediately turned into a great match. So I went four and a quarter stars on both of those. Uh, it's uh, it's nice to be able to watch PWG because it's it. I understand kind of their business model, and they don't really need to go bigger, but yeah, I wish they very would. Happy. I wish they would be. It would be so much fun to watch it in real time. 
okay, so here we go. Uh, I, in the newsletter, uh, Meltzer said there were stories about Oni Lorcan, parentheses, Chris Gerard, 36. <laughs> I, I love that he still does that stuff. Uh, in parentheses, working as a guest coach this week at the Performance Center, when asked about it, we were told he's not a guest coach and has been there for a while as a full time coach. There we go. So. I think that's unfortunate, but if uh, when he's getting paid without taking bumps, that's a good thing for him. So, yeah, it it, it just stinks because there would have been a litany of matches that he could have had on the Indies that just would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, and even AEW, just look like he and Buddy Matthews could have been using the same role. Like, hey, just put this guy in TV, let him do some cool shit for fifteen minutes, and then lose. And yeah. who cares? Just go do cool shit. Did you get to watch any wrestling this past week outside of uh, the AEW stuff, Tyler? Oh, um, I unfortunately did not. Um, I'm looking at watching the New Japan show from this morning here this week. Um, football, it's football season and football kind of consumes my life with everything I have to do um, in with uh, college football handicapping and uh, managing it, the Vikings wire for USA Today. So wrestling is not something I'm able to get a lot of, but I'm trying to get in a better uh, flow of things with the puppy so then I can make some time for some uh, backlog stuff. Then I got to ask you, what was the dumbest thing in football this past weekend? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> college football is so incredibly dumb. Um, I'm going to probably go with Jimbo Fisher calling an absolutely atrocious play call on first and goal from the two with three seconds left to beat Alabama. And he, he didn't run any kind of motion. He didn't try any kind of misdirection, try to scheme a guy open. He's just like, Hey, I'm going to run this, like uh, this whip route um, on the far side. And you're going to throw there. And it's just going to be like, Hey, just beat him. Like just utterly abysmal play call. That was probably the dumbest thing I saw this week. Uh, but as, as there always is, um, there is some dumb stuff and sickos committee on Twitter finds all the dumb stuff. It, it's great. Um, Michael Penix jr. From Washington threw a pick six by hitting his um, offensive lineman in the helmet with nice. the football, and it's skied up. Like, there's a lot of really stupid stuff in in the world of football, and th- those are probably the two. But man, you could look around and find some pretty good stuff. Just go to Sicko's committee, and you'll see it all. Speaking of social media, you can uh, follow the podcast at Good Bad Hungy H U N G E E. And uh, that's two E's. I forget how many I said. I'm very tired right now. Nick Khan would be disappointed in me for mentioning that. Uh, you can also email us at hungypod, H-U-N-G-E-E-P-O-D, at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. Uh, please rate and review us on your platforms and subscribe and otherwise uh, just support us. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. And uh, I think that's it for us this week, Tyler. It is. And yeah, here's to another great week of AEW Dynamite. Have a good one. Take care. Take it easy. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.